to invite our guest speaker here. So yesterday there was a little bit of um, reshuffling going on. Tom, would you like to come and join? And um, so there was another... This is Tom Markatanios, everybody, if you, if you don't know him. There was another Markatanios um, scheduled, <laughs> rostered to... A better one. A better Markatanios. <laughs> but we got the OG this morning. We got Claire Markatanios' father, Tom, here this morning. And I'm just wondering, Tom, we didn't prepare for this, but I don't know, in, a, in 30 seconds or less, can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, before, we let you, before we let you go with it? Oh, well, I've got this on, haven't I? Uh, thank you for the welcome. It's great to be here. Um, sorry that you haven't got Claire bringing the word this morning, um, but um, praise God, he's able to adapt, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I pastored here a number of years ago, and it was an incredible delight to be part of this church, and it's just so exciting to see how it's grown and developed in all sorts of ways. Um, and so, yeah, it's just good to be here. Oh, we love having you here. I'm just wondering, I think it might be appropriate this morning, he's... He had less than 24 hours to prepare for this morning. So I reckon let's just give him a warm welcome. Hills, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks, And we're looking forward to hearing what God's got for us this morning. Thanks, Tom. Thanks so much, Mark. It's, it's, again, as I said, fantastic to be here. Do you know that before you were conceived in your mother's womb, God knew exactly who you are, who he wanted you to be. He had a story that he wanted you to be a part of. And that story began in eternity past when God knew us before we were in the womb and we're born into this world and that's part of history, which is his story that we're a part of. And the great news is that this will go on into all eternity. The story doesn't end here. This is just a part of the story and we're a part of it. Your life the things you experience, the things that you do for God are part of his story because he wants it that way. He wants his children to reflect to the world what is in his heart, the Father's heart for the world, that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have immortality, eternal life. You will never cease to exist. Your story never ends. And though we may die physically in this world, the story goes on. And we can learn an awful lot about the stories that we're a part of, one another's stories, and the stories from God's Word. And this morning we're going to be looking at, as my daughter said, Nehemiah. Meyer. He's one of the smallest guys in the Bible. Nehemiah. And the focus is on rebuilding the wall. And you guys should know a lot about rebuilding things or building things. It's right in front of you. And the book of Nehemiah highlights God's call to people to come out of captivity so that they can be part of building what God wants to build in the world. Because it's the only thing that will last. Everything else will burn. And I delight in saying to Glennis occasionally, we might see a beautiful sunset or a nice home or a great boat or whatever and I'll say to her the whole lot's going to burn honey the whole lot's going to burn it's all going to go it's only what is of God that will go on into eternity a little bit of the background of the book of Nehemiah there are three main waves of exiles that came out of captivity 
back to Jerusalem to complete the work of God. Under Zerubbabel, they were called to rebuild the temple. Under Ezra, they were called to rebuild the people of God through the word of God. And under Nehemiah, they were called to rebuild the wall, which is a symbol of God's security and protection around the city of God. It's interesting that as we begin this book, and I know you've been reading this story, I hope you've read some of Nehemiah, that God's work begins in the heart of a person. It doesn't just pop out of thin air and happen, but it seems that God grips a person with a vision. And I believe that every Christian has a vision from God for something in their life. God will give us a vision. But more than a vision, in the Old Testament, the prophets received a burden for the things of God, something that so weighed them down that they could not not do it. They had to move ahead into that vision. I want to read from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, which is sort of November, December, in the 20th year, I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. A man who was gripped by the walls being broken down. Some who were gripped by abortion issues and rise up and want to speak the truth of God. Others who are gripped by other issues in life, that they want to stand up and speak the truth in love, that the world might know the way in which it should go. I pray that you will be gripped by a vision that will become a burden. My burden is for the body of Christ to come to maturity. My whole life and ministry is dedicated to seeing children grow into young people who will grow into fathers and mothers of the faith. The greatest need in the church today is for fathers and mothers in the faith who've come to maturity and will grow others to maturity. So there's an encouragement for each and every one of us that God has something to put into our heart that will be a burden that will drive us to tears, to prayer and to fasting, to say, yes, Lord Jesus, bring this about. Bring this about, Lord. This morning as we look at the book of Nehemiah, there's so many wonderful uh, themes and thoughts in the book. But I particularly felt led to look at the challenges to construction. And I'm sure you've had no challenges in building out here if I... Asked Eric to come up here and said, Eric, it's just been a smooth sail. He'd say, no problems. 
In this book of Nehemiah, it's about the challenges that were faced and were overcome that God's people would rebuild the wall. And there were two main challenges to construction. Firstly, there's an enemy that seeks to stop God's work. Nehemiah 4.11 Our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. Whenever God's work is engaged in, there's an enemy that rises up to seek to defeat it, to seek to stop the work from happening. And in talking with Claire last night, she said, oh, the camp was fantastic, Dad. A number of young people made a commitment. It was just a wonderful time, and I'm, I'm really excited about preaching to, you know, tomorrow. And, and uh, then she came down with COVID. Isn't it interesting? As soon as we embark on doing the will of God... The enemy comes against us. It can be sickness, it can be discouragement, it can be a whole range of things. In fact, I think that's one way we know we're going the right way. If we're going the right way with God, the enemy's going to rise up and come against us. If we're going in a particular direction and it's all smooth sailing, there's no opposition, there's no obstacles, there's no doubts or fears... We need to ask, Lord, am I going the right way? Because the enemy will always rise up and seek to stop the work. God's work is this amazing blend of construction and conflict. Nehemiah 4.17 Those who were building the wall and those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. I don't know how they did that. It's a bit of a juggling situation, but it's a beautiful symbol of what we're called to. We're called to construct something for the kingdom of God with one hand and to fight the enemy with the other because the enemy comes against us. And there's no use standing there and saying, when the enemy comes, oh, look, I just don't want to be involved. I'm not, I'm not up to violence. I don't like violence. Every one of us is part of the army of God. Every one of us is called into spiritual warfare for our family, for our church, for our nation. Every one of us has to adopt that symbol. With one hand, we're building the kingdom. We're encouraging one another. We're ministering to our children, to the elderly, to the men, to the women, to our community. We're doing the things that are constructive and positive. But with the other hand, we've got a sword. A sword that will enable us to overcome the enemy. And a big part of that is prayer. Remember back to the time in the Old Testament where Moses, Aaron and Hur were on the top of the hill and Moses would lift his hands and Joshua was in the valley fighting. And when Moses' hands fell, Joshua began to lose the battle. And so they put the poor old fella, a hundred and something on a rock. And imagine him sitting there. And his hands are shaking like this. And there was Aaron on one side and her on the other. And they lifted his hands up all day long. And when they did that, Joshua won the battle in the valley. And our warfare is primarily through prayer that we stand against the enemy. 
It's sad that we often run from the devil and we try to resist temptation when the word of God tells us, no, you need to resist the devil and flee from temptation. And we need to rise up with the authority that God has given to us. Sometimes we can be wimpy Christians. And we hear that today often in the church. It's all about love. Let's just love one another. But it's not just about love. It's about love and truth. Read the Gospel of John. It says Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. And when he, as you go through the book of John, meets the woman caught in adultery, he says two things to her. A reflection of grace and a reflection of truth. He says, I do not condemn you. There's grace. There is no more condemnation for those in Christ. But then he says, go and sin no more. There's the truth. So we have to hold the two together. It's a spiritual battle and we can't give in. You read the book of Revelation. Only the overcomers were given the blessings of God, which means you've got something to overcome. And I've got something to overcome. Every day we come out and we put on the armour of God to fight a battle. Construction and conflict. If we step out, The enemy puts a target on our back. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life in all of its fullness. And the strategy of the enemy, and I see this so many times in the life of God's people. The enemy comes to discourage and to intimidate, to come up and say, you're not worthy You're not good enough. You've got no gifts. You've got nothing to contribute. And we go, oh, it's true. It's true. It's so terrible. I'm a nobody. If you're created in the image of God, you're somebody in the eyes of God. You've been given gifts that only you've been given, unique gifts to serve God. Nehemiah 4, 1 to 3. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble and rubbish, burned as they are? And Tobias the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. They were ridiculed. They were saying, You're accomplishing nothing. You're wasting your life. All those prayers you pray, they don't accomplish anything. The enemy comes to say those things to us. And sometimes we succumb to the intimidation and the doubts that the enemy would put in our head, in our heart. Instead of rising up and saying, be gone, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Standing firm, being a soldier for Christ. Taking the authority that God has given. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me 
in heaven and on earth. That means there's no more authority anywhere else. Only what comes from Jesus. And then Jesus said, I give you this authority. Go into all the world and make a difference. Overcome the enemy when you go into that land. There might be giants there, but they're already defeated. Igor Sikorsky was 12 years old when his parents said to him, Igor, I know you've got aspirations, but competent people have already shown that human flight is impossible. Well, Igor went on to build the first helicopter. And in his factory, there's a sign that says this. According to recognised aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of its body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee, however, does not know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyway. <laughs> Will you go ahead and fly anyway? When you think you can't do it, when the enemy whispers in your ear, you can't do it. Point him to the bumblebee. He didn't know, so he went ahead and he did it. So God's people, we can go ahead and do it, not because there's anything great in us, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus has already won the victory on the cross when he said, it is finished. We're involved in a mopping up operation, cleaning up after the victory has been won. So what is our strategy? And the strategy that we see here in the lives of those people who came back to build the wall. Well, Proverbs 28.20 gives us one aspect. A faithful person will be richly blessed. Faithfulness. That means continuing to do what God tells us to do, irrespective of whether we have doubts, irrespective of whether people criticise us irrespective of whether we're not seeing the fruit that we desire to see. I remember reading the story of an evangelist. I can't remember if it was D.L. Moody or one of those guys back in the 18th century. But he had three particular friends who were atheists. And he prayed for them his whole life. And none of them became Christians. After he died, each one of them became a Christian. He never saw the fruit, but he was there through his prayer, growing the fruit of their conviction. And so each one of them made a commitment to Christ. And I'm sure he would have been one of those in heaven that it says, you know, at the, the sinner repenting, he was up there going, yeah, good job. And maybe he would have bragged a bit, saying, well, I was part of that. Maybe, maybe not. He probably would have said, Jesus, you did that. We need to be faithful to what God's called us to do. To not give in. To not think that our efforts are futile just because we don't see the sort of fruit that we long to see. So faithfulness is part of the strategy. The second aspect, Ephesians 6.16. Take up the shield of faith 
with which you will extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we call to be faithful, but we're also called to be full of faith. And faith is bold and aggressive. It's not timid. When God called his people to go into the promised land, it was only Joshua and Caleb who were men who were faithful but were filled with faith, who said, we can do this. And maybe we sort of try to paint a beautiful picture that maybe Caleb looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, he sort of he comes out and he's, he's built like this. He was a man of 80 in the wilderness and when he got through, 120. And Joshua says, you can have that mountain up there, but look, there's lots of giants up there. And maybe he thought, well, gee, it's a bit of a climb up there. I've got my walker ready and, and he's going up the hill saying, I don't know how I'm going to beat those giants. Faith is bold and aggressive. It's active. It launches out based upon the word of God. Even as Peter launched out of that boat and walked, he didn't actually walk on the water. He walked on the word of God, on Jesus' word that said, come to me. And he was bold and aggressive. So we too need to be faithful to the calling God's given, but also people filled with faith. God fights for us as we are faithful and filled with faith. 1 Samuel 1747, all those who gather here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. So maybe when we wake up in the morning and we think, gosh, there's a rough day ahead, we say, Lord, you've got a rough day ahead. There's a battle out there. There's opposition. There's all these things coming against us. I don't know how you're going to solve your problems, God, because I don't have any problems. Because it says that you're the one that fights the battle. You're the one that intervenes on behalf of your people. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we need to not forget to remember. I know that sounds like something that comes from an old person. Well, it probably is. Nehemiah 4.14. After I looked over things, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord. You know, God remembers you. Maybe sometimes we don't think that. Noah was in the ark, and after almost a year... It says, and God remembered Noah. So you might be going through a tough time, but God remembers you. And the key to joining into God's story is to continue to remember God. Don't forget to remember. When you're feeling down, when you're feeling opposed by finances or health, don't forget God. Remember God. Bring God into your thinking. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. The history of the church is filled with stories of those who died for their faith. But they went to a better place. They went to a place of blessing and victory. So the first challenge 
to construction is that we have an enemy we need to recognize. And the book of Nehemiah is about that. The obstacles they faced as the enemy came against them and they became overcomers. They didn't give in and say, look, I'm not going to fight this person. They're too big. They're too tough. Jesus is bigger than all of the obstacles that come against us. But the second obstacle that was there or challenge that was there was the rubbish that impeded or stopped God's work. Nehemiah 4.10. And the people of Judah said, if you read, and I know you've been reading through the story, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble and rubbish that we cannot rebuild the wall. It's interesting when you think about rubbish. There are all sorts of bins that are provided. There's the recycle bin. There's the bin that you put your garden refuse in and your, your scraps and things. And uh, then there's a, another bin for bits and pieces. Or maybe that's where you put the scraps and you put all the other stuff in that. So many bins. So much rubbish everywhere. There was a... Uh, an estimate done in 2014. Did you know there are approximately 500,000 pieces of space rubbish above the earth, according to NASA? We just have an ability to produce rubbish. We produce it everywhere. So we go to the shop and we buy this beautiful thing wrapped in a package and we rip the package out and we eat the thing or whatever and then we throw away the rubbish. And rubbish was one of the key issues for God's people. All of the rubble and the rubbish, the walls had fallen down. Uh, there were wild animals would come in there. Other nations that would pass by would leave their McDonald's wrappers there and they would just mess up the place. And they're saying, we can't do this. There's so much rubbish all around us. And rubbish becomes anything that stops us from doing the work of God. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage that I may, that I may gain Christ. Rubbish can mess up our life. They can it can stop us from doing God's work. And there seem to be two types of rubbish. There's rubbish that causes us pain. You know, things that we carry through life. Hebrews says, lay aside every sin and the weights that so easily beset us. You know, there are sins that we need to confess, but aren't there lots of weights in life that are like rubbish? Things that, that are part of our thinking, that part of our living, that, that bind us down, that stop us from doing the work of God. It could be that as I was growing up, I was rejected. And so now I've carried that rejection through my whole life. And it hurts. Maybe I wanted to have a relationship with a particular young lady. And she rejected me. So now I'm never going to try again. I'm never going to go near another woman ever, ever, because I was rejected. And people feel like that. I've met people like that. 
who've been hurt and carry the hurt through their life. It's like rubbish in their soul and their spirit. Hebrews 12.15 says, See that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Many people carry a root of bitterness around, unresolved hurt, unforgiveness in our heart that needs to be confessed, but the hurt needs to be healed. And during the worship, that was great. The presence of God, we just felt the presence of God in our worship. What came to my mind was that time when Jesus was with a lot of people and there were a lot of people all around him, touching him and bumping him. And then a woman had an issue of blood for many years who tried all sorts of doctors and couldn't find healing, came through the crowd, touched the hem of his garment. I mean, she could have been stoned for just coming into a social context. And Jesus immediately said, somebody touch me. And the disciples were dumbfounded. They said, you have got to be joking, Jesus. There's a gazillion people around you and you say, who touched me? The woman touched Jesus in a different way. She touched the hem of his garment in her desperation and her need and her hurt, where all the others were just saying, oh, it's cool to hang out with the Messiah. And didn't necessarily come with the same desperation and maybe the same brokenness of heart that she tried so long to find a way, a solution to her problem. And she touched the hem of his garment, she was healed. How powerful is that? That maybe there are many Christians who love to hang out with Jesus, but often so few of us are that desperate enough to break through and to touch the hem of his garment, to come before him like Peter did when Jesus said to them, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, who else can I go to that had the words of everlasting life? You know, I can go to Buddha, I can go to Allah, I can go to wherever I like, but it's only Jesus that has the words of everlasting life. Who else can I go to that knows me because he created me? that has called me and called you, that we might be part of the story, part of the work of God. It's only Jesus. And I know that's very exclusive, but so be it. That's the truth. It's only through Jesus. No man comes to the Father except through him. Bitterness can be like a spiritual rubbish and rubble in our soul. And these people who were coming to build the walls found that the rubbish was an obstacle. They couldn't get around it. They didn't know what to do with it. The second type of rubbish, apart from rubbish that is painful to our soul, is rubbish that we value. We've all heard the quote, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those shows that look at people who hoard things. Wow, it's amazing. You go into the house and you can't actually go into the house. You've got to step over things. They've got paper and things. And and for those of us looking from the outside, we think, it's a load of rubbish. Get the trailer. Time to take it to the dump. And yet this person's saying, oh, I can't throw this 
1924 newspaper away. It's valuable to me. I can't throw away this three-headed monster that I got at a sale. It's valuable to me. And whatever it might be, and we feel for those people that they really do have an area of bondage in their life, that there's rubbish here, but they don't see it as rubbish. It's valuable to them. We need to have a vision from God and see with the eyes of God what is really valuable. And we see Jesus telling us what is valuable. What good in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, Jesus is saying here that all of creation, the universe, the stars, the earth, is not as valuable as one soul, your soul. You're created in the image of God. I'm created in the image of God. Our soul is beyond valuing in the eyes of God. And so it should be for us that when we look around at what the world has to offer, as wonderful as it might seem, we realize that none of it is as valuable as who we are in God. That we're created in the very image of God. But we can choose the world. We can choose the wealth and the fame and the sex and the power and all of those things that the world seems to put a priority on. And yet the world is filled with people who are so empty on the inside. And I think it was Augustine who said, in every human heart there is a God-shaped vacuum or piece of puzzle that only God can fill. Have you ever done puzzles and you get to the final blank piece and you've got a final bit of puzzle but it doesn't fit? That's not right. It shouldn't be like that. All the pieces should fit. But in our heart there's a God-shaped vacuum or space that only God can fill. Money won't fill it and many have tried. Sexual pleasure won't fill it, and many have tried. Power won't fill it, and they're still trying today. It's only God that can fill that space. And if we try to put other things there, whatever they be, it becomes rubbish. It becomes something that stops us from doing the work, even as the rubbish here for God's people, the Jews, stop them doing the work it's time to take out the trash I don't know what day is your garbage day Friday's ours so Friday morning the, the little bins inside all the rubbish goes out into the big bins and out they go out the front it's time to take out the trash so we can get on with the work of God I just want to draw this together now because the people of God did build the wall because they overcame the enemy and they were able to get rid of the trash out of their life. Can we receive a vision of that this morning for us? Can we learn from the story in Nehemiah? And that can help us in our story, in our journey, because it is a journey and a story that goes on into eternity. I don't want to shock you right now, 
that some of the people that you find really difficult to get along with, you'll be spending eternity with them. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. But the great news is that we will all be in a better state when we get into eternity. That there'll be no misunderstandings and broken relationships and wrong thinking and wrong words. All of those things will be done away with because we will be like Jesus. When we wake up, we will be in the image of Christ and the wall will be completely built that goes into eternity. Father God, thank you for the story of these Jewish people who were able to overcome the enemy and were able to remove the trash from their life so that they could build the wall. I pray, Father, that if any of the words spoken this morning in any way have touched an area of our lives that we need to deal with today, I pray you would help us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to take hold of your story, that it's really all about you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, for each and every one of us that we will know your presence as we move ahead, that we will come out of captivity. Like Nehemiah, we will receive the burden and the vision of what you want us to do in this church and in our community, that we can launch out and say, I have a burden, and we can weep and we can pray. And we will know that the battle is yours, and you'll bring us to that place of victory. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.